Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ARIA podcast, a podcast about music, art, and social issues. My name is Julianne Colwell, and I'm your host. This podcast is all about giving fellow creatives a voice and a platform. You can follow us on Instagram at ARIA podcast or on Patreon at ARIA podcast. All proceeds from this podcast will be donated to the Navajo Nation Department of Health for the month of January. This week, I'm interviewing Casey Fassett, one of my closest friends and a saxophonist and singer-songwriter from Phoenix, Arizona. Be sure to listen to the end of this episode for a clip from her newest single, Arizona. Tell me about tell me about you, Casey. What is going on with you? So you're from you're from Phoenix, where I'm currently at, mm-hmm. but you have been living in New York for like five years and then you moved to LA, right? Yes. Or was it just four? So uh, I lived in New York for five years, four of which I was in school for at NYU. Um, then I stayed there for an extra year once I finished school. Um, and then I decided I couldn't do eight month winters anymore. And I moved out to LA. God, eight month winter versus eight month summer. <laughs> I would take it though over the winter. I'm not going to lie. And also just, I got very tired of like lugging all of my instruments on the subway and stuff. Oh my God. Um, it's a lot. So That sounds like a nightmare. That sounds like an absolute nightmare. Yeah. How often? How often did you do that? I mean, you had you had um, stuff with NYU, but did you have to do that a lot after school? Yeah, um, I didn't have to like carry all my instruments with me necessarily after that because I wasn't playing as much big band when I got out of school. Um, mm. When I was in school, I played in NYU's big band, but I was also in like a band outside of school called the New York Youth Symphony Jazz Band. Um, that was awesome. And we would have rehearsals every week and gigs and stuff. Um, and I played like everything in that band. I played soprano, alto, flute, clarinet. So I was having to bring like my tri-pack and music and other instruments as well. Like I would have like my big tri-pack on my back, which is extremely heavy because it carries your flute, your clarinet and your alto. Then I'd be taking my soprano too. Um, and depending on if the gig that we were going to had stands or not, I'd have to bring a stand too. So it was just like really hard on my back. <laughs> um, it was so fun though. Like I look back at New York and I had a lot of really great times. It's just a really hard place to live for an extended period of time. If you're not like wealthy <laughs> and can afford cabs right. and stuff like that. Um, it can be really exhausting even though it's like also very rewarding yeah I can see that I mean you just described like the life of a of a doubler and the life of just like a jazz musician all all at once it's pretty crazy exactly I mean I remember so me and you both were at NYU for the audition because wasn't Mm -hmm. it wasn't it where like we had some other friends that were auditioning, but they were there on like a separate day or something. Yeah, NYU has a really weird audition process, honestly. I think that they have actually changed their audition process because um, their faculty has changed a little bit um, as far as like who's running things. So I think that they have like what I would consider to be a better process now. Um, But yeah, where we auditioned is like the big band room at NYU. 
Nice. Well, that's kind of cool. I didn't realize that. I was just going to say, I remember just like having to lug my berry around. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And I mean, I had the case with wheels by then or no, I did, but it was like not a good wheel case. I remember it was the case that like came with the horn. So it still wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. And like rolling it over sidewalks was absolutely terrible. Oh, I'm sure. Those sidewalks are not like, you know, they're pretty run down. Um, yeah, not the most stable ever. And I remember thinking like, okay, if I got into NYU, I would put up with this for sure. But right now (laughs) it's a lot. Like, I also remember like, I mean, I know this is partially just like not having the right equipment or being like kind of dumb, but I remember the year after I graduated, I was gigging, um, with my duo, uh, Facet and Rubenstein. And I remember, you know, when you're a jazz musician, like playing like those low hanging fruit gigs, a lot of the times your pay is like a drink ticket or two. So oh my god, I'm a lightweight. And so I remember like going and having this gig and like playing my original music and it was awesome. And like I got two drink tickets or whatever. So I drank like two drinks, which is not a lot, but it was like enough to get me like slightly buzzed. And then I was on the subway and I have like, um, it's not like a BAM case or anything, but it's like one of those, um, like it's like a skate case or whatever. And so it's hard on the outside. Um, and then it just has like clips on the side. Um, but they open like really easily. And so like the top one would always come undone, but like not both of them would come undone, but I wasn't really paying attention. Cause I like, had two drinks and was like going home and like carrying my stand and like all this other shit. And then I like literally my horn, like my case opened up, like as I got off the subway and my horn fell out and I had to like get it repaired, like just stuff like that would happen all the time there. Cause it's like, you're just trying to like lug your stuff everywhere. It's really difficult, but oh my god I literally like look back at that and I just laugh I'm just like what a shit show that was like very interesting time but wow very interesting oh my god like my mouth was just wide open when he it was so bad like obviously I still have the same horn it didn't get damaged that badly but like of course my low b flat like had to get fixed um it was just so funny like I just felt like such an idiot but you know it's what happens when you're carrying too much stuff and you're trying to like run off the subway. It's so bad. Oh my god, I know. I mean, I I didn't I'm glad that I didn't have to deal with something horrific like that, but um I I took my berry on the light rail sometimes. That's the closest I ever got. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. It wasn't too bad. There was one day where on the light rail, I mean, I was holding on to it. Um, but I had it like standing up and I was holding on to it. And that was my mistake because basically like it came to a big stop and I like leaned forward and it just slammed <gasps> right down. Oh no. It just like, was it looking oh, after that? Oh my God. Yeah. I definitely had to get it fixed oh, after that. I mean, wow. it was repairable and everything was fine. And this isn't the first time, like when I had that case and this was, this was the case before the BAM case that I mm-hmm. now have which is a lot better, but even that case is not great when you drop it, like, straight down. Yeah, I mean, cases can only do so much. It was just one of those things where, like, everyone looks over at you, and then a couple of, like, weird people on the light rail, like, laugh, (laughs) because they can't I know, I'm sure. Like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. Yeah. Fun stuff, fun stuff. Well, can you just go over um, for me the projects that 
you're like currently involved in and or were currently involved in because I know that Facet and Rubenstein like y'all have an album out yeah so okay um I have Facet and Rubenstein is I wouldn't say on a hiatus but the two of us no longer live in the same state so we've both been taking time to kind of pursue our solo projects right now but in um like a couple years ago right before I moved out here we released Facet and Rubenstein Start a Book Club, which features uh, original works by both Talia and I. Talia is Rubenstein. Um, mm-hmm. It's guitar and sax duo. Uh, and then there are a couple charts that feature drums and bass. Um, what else was I going to say about that? Oh, yeah. The two of us met at NYU. The drummer is also from NYU on that one. But the bassist went to, I believe, NEC. Um, we met him in the city. So that is like more jazz oriented for sure. And then um, as far as the things I've been pursuing this past year since I moved out to LA, um, I've really tried to use this time out here, especially because of like, you know, COVID and quarantine and not being able to play like live music so much. I've been trying to use this time to like find my voice outside of jazz music specifically. Um, I feel like, I've learned a lot from jazz, but I've also been like told or like I've been in a box for a really long time, like this like jazz box. And I've been taught how to like write jazz music specifically and play jazz music specifically. And I have all these other influences that I always felt like, oh, well, I'm listening to jazz right now or I'm playing jazz. Like I'll like listen to rock and like play a rock cover later. And it's like your genres don't need to be so separated. Um, And I never really realized that until I started listening to people like Lewis Cole who was a jazz musician but he just kind of makes the music that he wants to make and like it's not really like super genre specific um so my other projects that I'm working on um basically just my solo project is my name Casey Facet um and it's just me kind of getting into the world of production and writing original music that has less of like a genre to it Um, I mean, obviously you could classify it as like some kind of indie thing if you wanted to, but I just tried to write without like a genre in mind and without like thinking of arranging techniques and like all these things that I've kind of been taught to be like thinking about. Um, So that's what I've been working on this past year. I have two singles out right now um, and I have an upcoming EP planned. So sorry, that was a lot of information. That was it's everything I've been doing for the past like four years. So, <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's that's pretty much what I asked because I um I feel like just you know for those of you that don't know, Casey is like one of my best friends, and so like <laughs> interviewing you is like it's like easy, but it's also harder because I'm more prone to just want to like talk instead of um kind of like formally put it all together and I don't want to miss anything, you know? And so you covered pretty much, pretty much the gist of, of that stuff. I mean, I, I wanted to add too, like the, the way that school kind of like puts you in that genre box is really interesting because it's not like anybody, when I studied jazz at ASU was telling me like, Oh, you can't, make pop music or you can't make original music that's different from jazz I don't think anyone specifically told me I couldn't 
but it seemed kind of implied because all of my classes were very, very jazz oriented. And I guess some of the people I went to school with would kind of like laugh about stepping outside of the jazz bubble. But again, it was just kind of more of an implied thing. It wasn't really anything anyone said. So I'm wondering if you had like a similar experience. Did anyone tell you that you really just like should be focusing on jazz and make that your career? Or was it just kind of something that you felt the pressure to keep pursuing? Um, I feel like it was never like a verbal thing. Like you said, it was more implied, but at the same time, I think a lot of it isn't even like specific people or um, like the way that the program is as much as it is like NYU and New York itself. Um, I feel like one of the reasons I moved to LA was because there's like so much less like genre specific, like groupings out here, I guess to say Um, like, I feel like all the jazz guys out here play pop music like and I'm sure some of that's because like the Hollywood Bulls out here and like um, there are a lot of people I know who like are jazz musicians, but they like worked at Disneyland and they would play like, you know, all that kind of stuff during the day. So it's like there's just a lot more people like stepping between like stepping through different worlds all the time. And so they don't get so judgy about like playing other kinds of music, whereas in New York, like there's such a traditional jazz scene there that it's like you have to be really serious about doing just that one thing if you want to make it. And so people get like really like streamlined and like put the blinders on. And it's like, I'm a jazz musician and I play jazz and I play bebop and I do this. And um, while that's like a great environment, I guess, to learning because it like really pushes you at a certain point, it's just kind of exhausting if like you have other like things that you're passionate about or like other genres you want to pursue. It's like, you almost feel bad. Like I, and at NYU specifically like feeding into that, like, there was definitely like a huge separation between um, like my school and the pop school. So like they were literally in different schools of NYU. So the jazz program was in Steinhardt along with like the classical music program. And then Clive Davis, which is like the school for like recorded music is in um, Tisch. So the funding is actually different and you can't even like take classes in those schools. It's like really difficult to, at least if you are like able to swing it somehow um so it's like very separated and I feel like it's kind of a reflection of like how the scene is in New York too because like it's very separated if that makes any sense wow yeah wow yeah I did not realize that it was like that I mean I guess it makes sense um but at the same time I don't know I think that's kind of frustrating when you want to be like a real a well-rounded musician and you want to be able to like get into jazz and like figure that out. What am I trying to say? You want to get into jazz and you want to focus on jazz, but you also like, wouldn't it be fun to take a couple of pop classes while you're there or like a couple of songwriting classes? It's like so strange that they maybe intentionally or unintentionally limit students from being able to Yeah, and I feel like um, the the saxophone professor I had, who is also like now the head of the jazz program, he came from UNT and that's how like UNT is very like, we're a big band school. And like, we have this really like traditional jazz um, curriculum. So I feel like he was kind of just used to that. So it's not like he like questioned it at all. You know, Um, he did fight for us to be able to take like certain classes, um, but they weren't like outside of the jazz realm. They were just like maybe like an additional history class or something that like we weren't offered before, but it was never like to take something in, you know, the recorded music program or something. 
Um, whereas here, like at USC, where like Lewis Cole went and a lot of guys out here went, there's just like, it's the complete opposite. I feel like they all take like recorded music classes when they're in undergrad and there's like this like fluidity to the program. Um, and that's good and bad, you know, because I feel like I look back and I'm like, wow, I wish I had had those options. But at the same time, like, you know, you only have four years and you're in school. Um, I feel like Lewis Cole was really able to was really able to take advantage of the fluidity of that program because he went in like with such a concept already of what he wanted to do. Um, if I had had all those options, I still can't say I would have taken advantage of all of them, you know, but I think that the schools are a really good reflection of the scene around them. Yeah. I mean, ASU is pretty similar. Um, their jazz program is pretty um, strong in staying in like this bebop and tradition like style I don't know if style's the right word but they're all trying to play bebop over there and that's totally cool and I do know like when I was going there they did have some media literacy classes that were required basically where you just learn how to use mm -hmm. music software but what I kind of what I kind of wish we could have done with it is like actually been told to like put our own music out using that software instead we always had to kind of like go along with this lesson plan this assignment of like well create a clip or edit a clip mm -hmm. or <laughs> you know this and that just to kind of like get you through the mechanics of it but what would have been really cool is if they were like all right each student has to actually put an original song into this software and use the resources available I don't think um, I don't think all schools have recording studios either, so I guess that's mm -hmm. a big part of it. Um, I'm guessing that USC they do. NYU does. had really nice recording studios, but they were in Clive, so we didn't have access to them. <laughs> yeah, they were what? like top notch. <laughs> I I know because I played on like several people's recordings like in Clive I was like hired to be like their saxophonist, and I went and I was just like, mm -hmm. what is this? This is so nice that they had like. It was like going to Capitol Records or something like they were like they had the whole spread and we had no access to them. That's Damn. NYU. Well, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed my time at NYU and I learned a lot, but there's like some messed up stuff like that. Um, and my friends that were in Clive would tell you the same thing back to Steinhardt because like they weren't able to take the theory classes that I took and things like that. They had like this bogus theory that was like guitar tabs and stuff. It was crazy. Like. Those programs complement each other so well, but they refuse to work together. It's absolute insanity. That is it's so all about weird. funding I mean, and like, you know, I'm going to use a private uh, college and all this stuff. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, politics involved. Uh, when is I there know. not? I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm learning. No, that's that's really interesting to hear. I think that like what I was thinking of is, you know, I had, I had a ton of time at ASU too. I wouldn't take that experience away. I'm so glad that I spent five years there studying jazz specifically. I really am. And at the same time, I feel like we should both be able to like criticize our experience a little bit and just saying like, well, wouldn't it have been cool if we could have done this too? I feel like one thing that I was really missing is, you know, I, I, I got all this experience learning all this super awesome music and I, I could work with a lot of different people and stuff like that. But I learned so little about actually recording 
and recording mm-hmm. equipment and kind of the the music business aspect of things like jazz musicians man like in new york the scene is thriving it's a place that you know jazz exists in and i feel like la is similar but in a place like arizona man you have to fight really hard to kind of get a scene going and that's not to say we don't have a scene going because we do but it's not the same and so it's like it's kind of weird that that these schools and same with UNT, like they would limit you from being able to take other genres of music in your degree program and limit your ability to kind of make your music more versatile and more, I'm not going to say listenable because jazz is very listenable, but just kind of like more appealing to like a wider audience. Like if you, yeah, I guess, you know, if you wanted to do that and also just if you wanted to do super, non-commercial stuff you would have the ability to like work on recording it and kind of getting that stuff going because when you're out of school and you want to put a record out it's like where do you even begin Mm -hmm. (laughs) what do you do I feel like uh sometimes they don't teach you that stuff and they definitely uh kind of miss the mark on some of that business stuff like I know that there are some schools out there and some teachers that are really fighting for like music entrepreneurship where they teach you specifically how to create a business through Mm -hmm. your music and stuff you know (laughs) I think my door like just closed because like Winnie just kind of walks in and out of here hi we're good (laughs) we're good but isn't that weird it's like we both left school like really like it's really rewarding to have participated in in two really awesome jazz programs, but then we're both like, well, now what do I do? I mean, I want to keep making jazz, but I also, it was weird. You know, for me, I was kind of like hiding my desire to make music. Oh yeah. I remember like being in the practice rooms at NYU and I like, I don't know, was transcribing something that wasn't jazz and those doors have like not window yeah they have like windows like you can see like in and out of them and I was like oh my god like no one can see me like I was like scared like someone be like what are you doing like that's not a good culture to have um and it's not like any particular person was like what are you doing but I just like felt like oh like they're gonna think I'm wasting my time like I shouldn't be in this practice room because I'm like not doing something productive like that's how I felt like that's not good you know like all that stuff is important Absolutely. No, I felt that way too. It's like if I wanted to practice pop songs on piano, simply to just get better at piano. Oh, I, I, I still at suck at piano. piano. <laughs> I'm just like waiting for someone to be like, what are you doing? And I mean, I think that did happen to me a couple of times where um, just like my peers were kind of like teasing me about it. And I was like, shut That's up. So not like, cool. <laughs> Let me play what I want to play. And like, it was always in good fun. I know that no one was actually like vibing me, but what we're talking about, it is kind of like a vibe in these schools is like, you know, you're kind of put in a position where, you know, this is it. This is the music you're making. And if you're not making jazz and if you're not trying to be a jazz musician, what are you even doing here? It's like, it's mm-hmm. a vibe. It's not necessarily verbally said. Although, you know, I had some professors that were pretty much, you know, their their way of teaching was kind of like, this is the way we do it and this is the way that mm-hmm. you'll succeed and if you if you don't listen to my advice you know and 
maybe they didn't mean it in such a like literal way, but sometimes mm-hmm. I took it really literally. I mean, I really wanted to sing more and I love singing jazz. I do, but I don't really feel like I identify as a jazz singer by any means. And I don't know if I'd want a career as a jazz vocalist either. Um, and so like, I just kind of didn't sing for most mm-hmm. of my time in college until I had a recital. And then I went, well, fuck it. I'm just going to sing now That's because awesome, no one though. can stop me. <laughs> it was pretty fun. And it was like kind of this like blossoming moment for me because I don't think that a lot of people really realized I was singing. So it was pretty fun to kind of be able to do that. And at the time I was in like a funk rock pop band I don't even know it was a very not limited to a genre band and it was really awesome and I played Barry in there so I brought them in awesome. to play a song with me and it was really yeah Foxadillo shout out to any Foxadillo people if you're listening man my recitals were both like I was so nervous like mine were super straight ahead for the most part because um it's just like we had very specific guidelines for our um yeah our performances uh and I remember being so nervous because my private instructor was the one that was uh judging them because he's like the head of the jazz department as well oh my god and he was so hard on me and like I really appreciate him I feel like he taught me so much and like learned he taught me to hold myself to a higher standard and like believe I can actually attain that standard because I feel like for so long I was always taught to like think I can't get higher than like second chair higher like I can't reach higher than the boys you know um for a really long time and he just like pushed me and pushed me and pushed me and like I don't know it was it was a really crazy experience for me but that's why I was always so nervous whenever I had to like perform in front of him because he actually like held me to that high standard you know he didn't he wasn't like waiting for me to fail at all like he was like expecting that I would not trip at all which was like really like it was cool to have somebody like that in my life but it was like I cannot f up like (laughs) I have to to be what he thinks I can be um so it was very nerve-wracking like I was like I can't forget any changes (laughs) and I was like oh my oh I can't even remember I was playing like some like really high or like super up-tempo tune um for my senior recital I literally can't even remember what it was at this point I haven't honestly in all honesty this year I've been like focusing on production I haven't been like playing standards every day so having trouble remembering what tune it was I think it was like minority or something um and I was just so nervous I was like oh my god I can't miss anything (laughs) single court (laughs) did they at NYU do they like pick your recital tunes you get to pick but you have to like submit your recital um like your recital list really early and get approval and you have to have like an up-tempo tune. You have to have a ballad. You have to play one of your tunes duo. Um, you have to play a significant part of a song acapella. Um, it's like very specific. I mean, that's cool and all. I understand that it's like an, an institution where they're trying to teach y'all stuff and they're trying to kind of see what you can and cannot do, but isn't the point of a recital to just like be able no, to be free? No, not according to, to Dave Pietro. <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay <laughs> if you are listening, Dave. Thank you. <laughs> I learned a lot. I mean, 
I just know, um, I think that in certain situations, like just in private instructor to private or student, that's what I'm saying, private instructor to private student, you can discuss some stuff like, here's what I expect you to do on your recital. That's kind of what my teacher did is he kind of sat me down and he was like, all right, look, what do you want to do? Let's talk about what you want to do first. And then I told him and he was like, okay, cool. But can I suggest you also do this? You know what I mean? Like he would, he would make it as more of a suggestion, even though I kind of knew. <laughs> Ours was not so gentle. <laughs> I can't remember. I think you met Dave when we auditioned, right? I probably did, but God, all I remember from that time is that I had to play like all the things you are or something in a room with like 16 oh other saxophone players or a all... guitar player. Yeah, and I know I got lost and totally. I like, don't think that was up. your fault though. <laughs> there were some people that really didn't like know where they were. Right. And I mean, I honestly. And I mean, this is like for all the jazz people out there. I couldn't learn all the things you are till well into college, man. It's a that wild my to get that favorite tune down. Tune. <laughs> it's because I'm such like a Lee head. Like that was his. That was his like practice routine. Oh is he would practice all the things you are in twelve keys every single day. Oh my god! Yeah, that was his practice routine. Yum. I mean, I'm here for it. I, I love I love that song too, actually. And I often will call it at a jam because now that I have learned it, I'm like, ooh, there's my go-to. I probably- I feel like people up. crap on that tune because like a lot of us learned it when we were really young because it's, you know, it's a pretty basic tune, but it's like, it's not just a bunch of two fives, mm -hmm. but it's like the cycle of fourths and stuff. So I feel like people learn it pretty early and then they like crap on it. Like they're like, oh, that's like a baby tune, you know, it's like calling blues or like, you know, something like that or like autumn leaves. But it's like, I don't know. It's a beautiful song. I would love to play it. Like, let's just play it a different way. Like, let's play it in three. Like, let's play it in a different key. Like, don't crap on that song. I love it. It's <laughs> a reason Lee Stop loves it too. No, I get you. I used to call it in three a lot and I really liked it in three. And I also, yeah, I heard the same shit. It's like, man, why you gotta, why you gotta shit on a good time? Exactly. A good time. I, <laughs> I don't know. Like I get people want to like show off or whatever, but yeah. come on. It's a nice song. I know. Well, this is a recurring theme in my aria podcast episodes where i basically am like oh, oh jazz, jazz. you need to put like <laughs> a wah 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 behind all those times in your podcast <laughs> oh jazz wah, wah, wah. right well and i just want to like clarify too it's like i'm not trying and i i understand if people might hear it as like oh julianne's just talking some shit again but i'm not trying to do it like that i just kind of am like I'm, I'm remembering so many experiences that I've had and I still have like the same exact feeling, even though years have gone by where I'm like, man, why, why did it have to happen like that? Like, why did it have to go down like that? There are just so many situations where I remember going like, oh yeah, why? no, I <laughs> you know? definitely have been there. I'm thinking of many times when we were in TJI together. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, why? 
So for those of you who aren't filled in on TJI, that's the Tucson Jazz Institute, which was a, is still a high school jazz program. It's like an after school program, you know, and it was very prestigious, you know, it was like legit. We went to all these high school jazz competitions and stuff and we were always, you know, competing against other high schools. I never really loved the competition aspect of it, but it was so fun because we always mm-hmm. had really badass music and, like, really hard music, too. And I'm just so glad that I got exposed oh, to all that man. shit when I was younger because it really – I mean, if it weren't for that, I don't think I would have pursued my music degree. So, I mean, I'm still, like, forever – forever many fond memories of TJI. But then, you know, that's where it all began was kind of just the – the, the like boys. the jazz scene Five. began there like you're stepping into it you know so it's like and they're especially young mm-hmm. all the guys so like it's very like raw <laughs> the, the experience <laughs> if that makes any sense um I feel like when I got to college it was like a little bit better um there was a little less of like the raw boyish energy if that makes any sense <laughs> but there is still like a lot of it sexism is- like but the, okay so for me I feel like there were like two opposites honestly for like feeling that kind of like it, I always felt like the kind of exclusion from the boys club like no matter what um institution or like era not era like age uh that I was or the people around me if that makes any sense like I always felt like the divisiveness a little bit but as far as like the blatant sexism, mm-hmm. it was really bad like in high school. And then um, when I was in college and now it's really bad like with the older generation. Um, so did I? Okay. Mm-hmm. This is slightly off topic because we were talking specifically about TJI. But just talking about like, I know some people now might think like there's not that much of it. Like, because they don't see it like very, very blatantly anymore, you know? Um but did I ever tell you my most, like, hilariously blatant, like, just completely sexist story um, when I was in Collegium at NYU? Did I tell you this? Oh, my God. Okay, so listeners, please. get ready. No. Um, I was the only girl in the program, <laughs> first of all, for two years um, at NYU. And we were having a Collegium, which is, like, our program meeting that was weekly, zero credits, just, like, guest artists would come in. And so there's this European jazz artist. I honestly can't remember his name. He was like a pianist, I think. Um, and he is like trying to be inspiring, I guess. Like he's talking to us. He's like, you're all in school for jazz now. But like when you graduate, you're like, you're not necessarily going to do jazz. You know, like this is like your stepping stone to whatever you're going to do. Like some of you might stick with it. Like some of you might like decide that you like, you know, um, being on the recording end of it more like Maybe you decide that you want to be like a studio musician or maybe you decide like you really like composing and you're going to be behind the bandstand. Like maybe one of you will realize like you don't really love like jazz music as much as you thought. Maybe you actually like like writing about music more. Um, Maybe. And he starts like kind of like going in like tangential things that are related. And then he looks at me and he goes, maybe you'll just be a mom. (laughs) So bad. Like so bad. Like the whole room like shut and um it was terrible and then uh I was just like red in the face I was just like did this really just happen and then later um like this just goes to show like we have made progress though because like everyone was aware that it was a completely wrong thing to say 
And uh, I didn't, I didn't say anything. Like, I was just like, we all know that was wrong, you know, whatever. Uh, but like Dave Pietro like pulled me into his office yeah. later and was like, I want to apologize like on behalf of the guest artist. Like I like talked to him, like told him how wrong that was and stuff. Um, but stuff like that does still happen. Uh, I just like, that's one of my favorite, just, can you believe that it's 20, whatever the hell it is, 2015, 2015, <laughs> maybe you'll Holy just shit. be a mom. I don't know. I just, I want to show you says that maybe you'll just be a mom. But I won't just be a mom. Jazz mom. A jazz mom. Oh my God. It was so bad though. I feel like I'm getting on a tangent though. We were talking about very I real mean, things um, before that about just like, um, like how it's, it kind of, kind of goes in waves a little bit. Like I feel like in high school, like the sexism is pretty like apparent and then like with the older generation like that. But I feel like in every day, it's kind of like that whole microaggressions thing. Like they don't realize they're being that way, but they are like, I feel like everyone in my school was like really like nice. Um, and they like liked my playing and stuff. But you know, when it came to the hang, like I wasn't really invited to the hang. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of where it shows its head now, you know? And it's not like they mean anything by it. It's just, they're like, oh, but like we're buddies, like yeah. we're bros. And then it's like, you don't get invited to the hang. But then it's really hard because they want to hire their friends, like these jazz guys. So it's like, if you're not part of the hang, like you're, you don't get hired. So that's actually like kind of going full circle back to like Facet and Rubenstein. Like that's kind of like where that was born out of. Because Talia and I, um, we were the only two girls in the program. Talia is two years younger than me. So after two years, she became the second girl in the NYU jazz program. Um, and like, we're friends with guys that are in the program and we play with them. But like, I feel like there are a lot of missed opportunities because we're not like in the hang a lot. And so we were like, why don't we just make our own opportunities and like, we'll hire the guys that we want um, instead of like forcing them to hire us. Uh, and so I... that's what we did. No, I love to hear that. That is amazing. And that's something that I wish that I had kind of fought for more in my undergrad. You know, I feel like exactly what you were saying. If you're not part of the hang, you don't get hired. If you're not in the hang, you're kind of out of the loop. And it's like really obvious when you're around these guys mm -hmm. that you're not a part of it, you know. And when I when I first got into the jazz program at ASU, I was like so desperate mm -hmm. to fit in and get into the hang. So, so desperate, in fact, that I just like made a fool of myself a lot. Also, you know, there were a couple of really awkward moments that like made me stand out because I was a woman, which was really annoying. My favorite one was, and I mean, I love the director of jazz studies to death. And I know he means well, but he said, oh my God, I'm like the only girl in the room. I'm a freshman. It's like orientation, jazz orientation or whatever. And he said, it's so enlightening to have a exactly. woman in the program. Like, stuff like, like that. Like when I became a girl at NYU too, they were like, I think this is like the first year we've had a girl in like four years and like points. It's like, can you like not? Like, can I just be like one of the members of the program? Like, it was just really frustrating. Like, and everyone would comment on how I was like the first girl in years and they're like, oh, and she's hot too. And it's like, why are you doing this? Like, how about- Ugh she's a good player. <laughs> like I, I get it. Like they have eyes, like they're going to make their own judgments, like whatever. Um, but it's just like really crappy for that to be like the first thing that people see or say, you know, it reminds me of the whole, like, 
when we were in high school in um aforementioned program that we mentioned uh how we were told to wear dresses and not slacks because the first thing is what they see mm-hmm. um, it's just like not a good feeling mm-hmm. but i remember when i was in new york youth symphony they told me i could wear whatever i wanted you could wear slacks you could wear a dress as long as it's black it's fine and I was just like, oh, I get to be what I want to be. And I always wore slacks. <laughs> I was like one of the guys. Like, and I was the only girl in that band like several <laughs> times as well, like several seasons. Um, and I just remember like I loved, I would just wear like a, like a suit coat. And like, I'm not like butch or anything, but I just like liked it because I am kind of a tom girl. And I was like, I don't want to be like, I don't want the first thing that they think to be like, mm-hmm. oh, like she looks pretty. Um, obviously, I want to be pretty. But <laughs> I wanted it to be like, the outfit was not distracting from my music. No, exactly. I mean, it just speaks to how in the education system in general, Mm -hmm. how genderized everything is, you know, it starts really early. I teach kindergarten right now. And some of my um, colleagues will still separate them by gender, like boys over here, girls over here. And they'll address them and say, okay, boys and girls. And then, you know, in some in some lessons it's like oh well why are all the girls doing Mm -hmm. all the work and the boys aren't or vice versa and it's like the more you make those comments the more the boys and the girls are going to feel separated and the more that's going to play out later on in life and then you know when you fast forward to college and you're in a like male dominated Mm -hmm. field which is going to happen in so many fields right (laughs) and you're the only girl in the room the fact that people are still pointing it out, it just speaks mm-hmm. to the fact that it's always been pointed out pretty much yep. unnecessarily for so long. And I mean, I don't know. It's, you know, with the with the wardrobe stuff, I feel like I had the opposite experience in college where, you know, they did tell me I could wear what I wanted. So I would go all out and dress up and like dress really feminine and wear really pretty dresses and um, sometimes like low cut dresses and stuff because I wanted to feel yeah. confident and I wanted to feel good. I wanted to wear what I wanted to wear. But it ended up fucking backfiring on me because it wasn't verbally stated to me specifically by anyone at that school. But I knew that people were taking me less seriously. Yeah, I mean, it's a double-edged sword. Like, I told you I was, like, excited that I got to pick out what I wear or what I wore in that band. But, I mean, it was so ingrained in me, that exact experience, that Mm -hmm. if I dress a certain way, people are not going to take me seriously. Mm -hmm. So... I did the opposite thing and I covered myself up, but it's like, it's the same. We did the, like, we were, what's the word I'm looking for? Like we, the responses were from the same like principles that have been like drilled into people. Like I just chose a different tactic, but because of the same problem, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've talked to, I try to talk to as many women about this as possible because I know that we all have different perspectives of this, but we Mm -hmm. still experience the same stuff. Like we experience the same problems, the same issues, the, the microaggressions, the like Mm -hmm. the vibe, the, that, that feeling like on the back of your neck where, you know, you just don't feel like you're ever going to be fully accepted. And I know that there are so many guys out there who aren't like this and I've been really lucky to meet so many of them who just want to include me based off of my playing alone but I've said this before you know there have been so many times where I've been on a gig and I had to ask Mm -hmm. myself why did they hire me (laughs) because 
it certainly wasn't because of my music in those cases. It was it was because mm-hmm. they wanted eye candy on stage. And that is like so disappointing because I don't know, it like it messes with your self-confidence so much. You're either mm-hmm. not attractive enough or you're too attractive. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And I mean, I know that I know that men deal with this too to some extent um in certain situations, but like you can't even try to compare that thing happening. I mean, there are times where guys will get some some kind of like groupie types that want to go to their shows and really love them, but Man, those girls are a lot more appropriate about their feelings. That's just such a good way to put it. I'm sorry. I just love that. They're more appropriate. (laughs) That's a nice way of saying that. They really are. It's like a very kind way of saying that. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, That's great. Well, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like this whole idea of... um, uh, where am I going with this? It's just this this feeling that we have. You know, we can't always speak on exactly what's happening. I've had guys ask me, you know, well, what's an example? Give me an example of this happening because I want to know what you're talking about. And sometimes I, I can't give a specific example. I just know that it's real and that it exists and that other people feel the same way as me. And that, you know, it, it sucks that when I do need to explain it, I feel like I have to explain it perfectly and eloquently so that yeah it shouldn't there's no be like presenting argument an argument it should be like a conversation like, well, you know actually. like well you know how can i make you not feel that way you know it shouldn't be like a give me a specific example of when you felt that way it's like no like you're part of the problem like by doing that <laughs> you yeah. need to come at it like i hope i'm not part of this problem how can i not be Yeah, I mean, it's 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 the ego at play, and like we've all got our ego, and it it can it can come into our minds at good or bad times, you know. But like, it's definitely male ego when they're like, "I don't even believe you unless you tell me." Yeah, exactly no, exactly. What it's like every single. There's moment. no trust. <laughs> like, like they just yeah. automatically distrust us, like us women, you know. It sucks. Yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like I get if you're trying to understand it, so that like... you can be part of the solution. But if you're just trying to disprove what I'm saying because you don't want to be wrong, that's something else. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And I mean, oh my God, I, I know. Write a lot of songs about I, this. Like, <laughs> for anybody that has not listened to my first single, like the literal first lines of the very first single I wrote was like, me having like nightmares of still being like talked down to by my ex-boyfriend like that's very real you know yeah yeah and I mean it just it sucks I've I've been there too it's this feeling where you know you want to stand up for yourself and you want to say what you feel is right but you kind of know that in doing that you're just gonna like it's going to backfire on you because sometimes when we speak up and we speak our truth, it's like, it's too oh late because we didn't speak up enough before. Okay. I've had that happen so many times where, where I'll be addressing mm-hmm. a situation, like a harassment situation where I am bringing up literal harassment that happens to me at school. And they'll ask me, well, why didn't you tell us this sooner? We would have done something about it. 
when in fact they would not have exactly. because they still didn't even after I, I, I feel like harassment. I definitely you know <laughs> experienced some of that stuff in school but I was also really lucky there are like especially now I feel like guys are a little more attuned to that stuff so there were like the few guys that were always really there for me or were really kind you know so I kind of had um the ones who were yeah. exhausting and who were like really made me uncomfortable. But then I had like my knights in shining armor that would be like there to be like, what's going on? <laughs> um, so I got lucky in that respect. There's definitely <laughs> some good guys out there. It's just like too much of it's like in the culture, you know? Yeah, I guess that's what I'm speaking to because I had a lot of great guys that were in my corner too that were not standing for that shit. But because it's so embedded in the culture and like, jazz culture that that women you know we have to prove ourselves by like taking these incredible solos and just like fucking wiping the floor with everybody or else people are going to be like oh she's like she's a little too timid or i don't know if she's really worked on this song as much as she says she does or where's she even from like they always have to question us and i mean trust me i know that they question each other and that's part of the problem too is that the entire culture mm -hmm. is like just one-upping each other and seeing who can play yeah. the better chorus on the song. And I mean, I know that they're not always consciously thinking that even. I feel like it's something that is pretty unspoken and sometimes even unthought of. But like when you're not unthought of. Is that <laughs> like I love jamming with my friends, but I just am so done with jam sessions. Isn't it sad? I mean, and again, ooh, like... When girls show up as horn players, it's an uphill battle for sure. When they show up as vocalists, I swear to God, the band will fuck up on yeah, purpose. Yeah, I don't know. Just I'm just really done. Like, I definitely went to a couple, like, nice jam sessions in New York. Um, but for the most part, like, the bag ones made me, like, so anxious that, like, I didn't want to go to other ones. You know? Like, I don't know. And some of, like, the biggest venues have the crappiest jam sessions. Like, the smallest jam, se jam session is Notorious. Like, it is terrible. <laughs> like, the guys will be there at, like, 3 a.m. And they're all just like, oh, let's play, like, 26-2. And, like, they just all want to, like, play 20 courses. And it's just like, god damn. Like, this is not enjoyable at all. I want to leave. <laughs> oh, my god. No, I get you. I mean, I wouldn't even dare try to play at a New York jam session. In Phoenix, they were pretty chill, mostly. There were some people that were trying to push that a little bit, like, there's like a group every like two years. I feel like there's like a group like that in every like, you know, every other year there's a group like that. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, when are we going to address this and just like nip this in the bud and just, I don't know, like maybe there's no way to address it um, to where it'll actually stop. But part of why I keep talking about jazz and, and sexism and jazz on this podcast specifically is because I want my listeners to like actually think about this and go, well, they're right. I think I want someone out there to go, wow, I think that they might be onto something <laughs> and then maybe consider moving forward. Like not only how can we be more inclusive, like, but also just think people. like, yeah, how is my ego playing into what I'm doing tonight? Because, as musicians, it always does. I totally get it. But like, why are you calling it a jam session and then not allowing people to actually interact with you and jam with you unless they're your homies in your corner? I mean, it's just like, go jam at home. I don't know. Just go home. And maybe that's what's happening during the pandemic. <laughs> this has been a Thank good God, cleansing time for the jazz. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can we need this episode's cleansing time? God, maybe oh maybe once jam sessions come back. Oh Lord. But I I need it. It's like I'm I'm wanting to ask these questions and I want people listening to, to ask themselves these questions and think like, all right, what what is what is what they're saying going to do and how is it gonna impact the scene moving forward? Like women, we are done. We don't wanna show up. And when we do show up, we are literally forced into like, you know, molding into it, you know, like I've seen, um, I mean, I don't want to speak for anybody, but there are, there are some girls that I know that, man, it's like, they act just like the guys. And I always wonder to myself, do they want to act like that? Or are they just doing that to fucking get in on it and to like be a part of the scene? Cause I don't know. Same. I feel like we probably both went through that when we were in high school (laughs) and then we realized like, I don't really like this. And like, not to be mean, like I still keep in contact with some of those guys like lightly, but there's a reason why you and I are a lot closer than I am with any of the other guys that were in that program. Because I didn't, I didn't want to be like that. Like that wasn't my personality. And like, it's just, it's exhausting. And like, I remember being in Europe with those guys and it was exhausting. Like, don't get me wrong. Like individually, the relationships are are great and like I would get together with some of those guys and I lived in New York like the ones that are out there you know like I would get like dinner with them sometimes and stuff and it was great like one-on-one two-on-one like it was great but like in like collectively there's just this culture that comes out you know Mm -hmm. yeah like of course we can acknowledge that these guys have grown since fucking 10 years ago of course they're not the same guys that they were then but the fact that that culture existed back then that it was enabled that it was basically encouraged um to put the women in the in the jazz institute on display as women all the time (laughs) you know it's frustrating and i like with my students i don't have any jazz students currently but i have i i co-teach a rock ensemble which is super fun they're all super awesome kids they're like all about the music and they all luckily as far as I know get along but like when I see shit that I used to experience I try to talk to them about it and I try to be you know gentle about it <laughs> that's what I, I would be like, like unfortunately I am not a like, teacher I, try- <laughs> I mean well and if it came to that, I think I would be like that. But I'm it's tired. just like, man, can we just like create, like mold this this new generation mm-hmm. of, of young jazz musicians or young musicians in general that just aren't going to pass this super sexist bullshit behavior. up to, I Yeah, don't know. and it's, it's learned like behavior. Are, it's like it's they have to not be taught it. <laughs> For instance, what you said earlier, like you're like, you know, teaching young children, you know, and you're like trying to do your best to be like a really good influence in that way. And like, you're also teaching, Mm -hmm. you know, young musicians as well. So it's like, you're directly impacting the industry in that way. And like, you're also just impacting like, you know, the next generation. So like you are doing like very concrete things to take what you're saying and like make it happen. Um, You're not just sitting here like, bitching like oh like if only it wasn't this way it's like hey like let's talk about it let's do something about it like and let's yeah. keep doing stuff about it um and you know I might not be like working with the next generation of um people or anything but 
you know, I saw something I didn't like and I was like, I'm going to create something I do like. So instead of just going to like toxic jam sessions that like weren't really like creating any value in my life, I decided like, hey, I would like to find my voice because I've been told what my yeah. voice is for so long. I actually don't know what it is. Um, so I kind of like detached myself from that. And I like made a band with someone I felt comfortable with and made music I liked making. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's not necessarily as far reaching as what you're doing. Um, but it's been like a really healthy experience for me. And I've been able to like talk to other people about it and like collaborate with other people, you know, and share my like positive experience and like hopefully have that make an impact on other people. Um, I definitely, I know I've talked about it a lot, but like, I just love Lewis Cole because I feel like he was somebody who like, didn't really have like a group that he fit in really well with. And I feel like he's done the same thing. Like he's kind of made like a community for himself. And I feel like that's something that more people should be empowered to feel like they can do if they want to. It's like, it's a big step to take because I'm currently in a position where I haven't released any music and I'm still learning about recording and putting it all together. And I'm really afraid, like, honestly, but the, the fear is so stupid. And I think it's just my anxious brain talking because I know that like mm -hmm. my voice matters, not just my just speaking voice, but my musical voice. And I'm really, I know that when I do finally get music out there, it's going to be like such a liberating experience. And I'm not even going to be worrying about how people are perceiving it anymore because it's going to be mine. And it's going to be something that I worked hard, but also worked happily to create no pressure from anybody other than my brain mm -hmm. going, Hey, so, you know, you still want to make music, right? Let's go and do it. Like, let's work on it, you know? And like, it's just such a huge thing. And I mean, I don't know for all the, for all the men out there that are listening to this, if you, if you have done shit that we're talking about, if you have exhibited this behavior before, I'm not trying to like make you take it so personally that you get super mad and go, well, like, well, what can I even do to like, I, I don't care anymore. I'm just wanting you to like, hear what we're saying and just move forward. Aware. Maybe yeah. not do it's that just like opening anymore. your eyes. If you did it in the past, um, I get being it. Being aware. And Try not to for all of our <laughs> comrades out there, yeah. those guys that are in our corner, thank you. I really couldn't have gotten through college without a couple people. Mm -hmm. I, I feel exactly the same way. There are definitely some people who were totally my friend mm -hmm. through and through, helped me get through it all, listened to my quote-unquote bitching, you know, and, like, helped me to feel not only mm -hmm. less alone, but just, like, more validated in that dude like this stuff matters it's okay to talk about it's okay to feel uncomfortable about it obviously and yes exactly like, I was just thinking about when I was in college in that New York Youth Symphony jazz it's okay. band um <laughs> we went to Brazil and I was the only girl in the band when we went to Brazil um and it was fun in a way because like, I got my own room and like they would always have like dressing rooms and I always got my own dressing room. <laughs> All the guys had to share one. <laughs> um, so that was like the fun experience of like yeah, being yeah. the only girl. But um, at night, like I wasn't 21 yet. Um, but in Brazil, you can drink when you're over 18 mm -hmm. and like all the boys wanted to drink and like, don't get me wrong. Like, I feel like part of it was like, I needed to loosen up a little. And I feel like now I would be like, yeah, like, let's go get a drink. But I like really did not feel comfortable with that back then. And it honestly wasn't really what I wanted to do anyways. Like I was like, oh, I'd rather just like walk around and like explore. And like, they just wanted to like party and drink a lot. Um, and I was like, so grateful. There was like this one guy 
Um, he, he, I always played second alto to him. He was a year mm-hmm. older than me. And like, I think he like knew I was uncomfortable and he wasn't like a big partier either. And he was like, let's go get food. Like just to me, like he was like, they, they'll like, they're going to drink or something. He's like, let's go get food. Um, and he like literally didn't go out like just to like help me out, I guess. I don't know. I feel like he also wasn't like dying to go, but it was like really nice that he like created this like second option because he knew like, I felt really uncomfortable you know, like I've always been taught to like, not like be like super uninhibited, like in a situation where like I could be taken advantage of or something. And it's not like I was being extremely conscious of that, but like, why else would I feel so uncomfortable? You know, like I'll drink now, like with my friends, like, I don't think anything of it. Like, but I don't know, just like being like that young around like 20 guys that were in their twenties, like drinking, like to me, that just like seemed like a recipe for disaster. Like it just made me think like something bad was going to yeah. happen to me. Um, and it was just like, I didn't, it was so nice. I didn't have to like verbally say it because I don't think I even like really like had like acknowledged that for myself. It was like an internal thing. And to just like be around somebody that was like, you know, sensitive enough to like understand that and to create this other option. Like, I don't know. I just think back to that and I'm like, damn. That was like the one man I knew who was like more emotionally mature than yeah. me. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And just that awareness is there. Like, of course, I mean, I felt the same way, you know, and I, I did have like a phase in college where I was going out and drinking with all the guys and, um, I don't know, dude. It was like half fitting in, wrong? half me actually <laughs> having fun. I can't even recall now how fun it really was because, oh my God. It's just, yeah, we, I just, I just want to see more men, you know, looking at the behavior of their peers and going, man, this isn't cool. And instead of just sitting idly by and letting it happen, I want them to have more conversations mm-hmm. with each other about it. And not just because some girl was like, hey, guys, talk about it. Eventually, I want mm-hmm. it to be in their heads that like, hey, all right, this behavior is like not cool. This is not going to get us anywhere. And I'm not talking about drinking yeah. and partying. I'm talking about just like the bigger, the bigger issue of like mm-hmm. the exclusion and how we treat women overall and how we talk about them behind their back and how we are always constantly trying to fucking have these sexual conquests no, with them. Like it fucking matters because I don't think it does, <laughs> you know? I like all of the talk of like the yeah. things that, um, or like the experiences that I had that were really negative. <laughs> like it does really remind me of like those really positive experiences that I had too. And like, I'm really grateful that, you know, the conversations that we've had up to this point has have kind of led to this, this part right now because I am thinking of like those really awesome guys and like, you know, any of the guys that are listening tonight that are either like that are fed up, but maybe still listening, hopefully at this point. Um, That's like the kind of behavior, like you can like look for, you know, like if like a girl seems uncomfortable, like what can you do to make her feel better? You know, like it's like those really small things that end up like making all the difference. Like it's not like this guy, like the one who like, you know, was like, let's go get food or whatever. Like, that was, like, honestly, like, a very small thing. Like, I'm, like, it meant the world to me. But it's not like he, like, got up on a podium and was like, I'm speaking for women's rights and jazz. Like, I didn't need that. Like, what I needed was, like, the really small things. 
um that trip was like awesome for that kind yeah. of stuff um i also remember like we were all at the beach one day um and all the guys were like playing soccer and doing all this stuff and like i was just kind of hanging out because i'm i'm very sporty like i play volley i played volleyball like you know we we played volleyball together i think at one point um like I did all that stuff. Like I didn't play soccer and like, wasn't my thing. And like, I don't want to watch, like it's so boring to yeah. me. Um, and I remember just kind of like, like swimming around and stuff, but I was like, I was like scared to go like too far into the water, like by myself. Cause I'm like kind of a chicken. Like I watch Jaws like, way too young and I'm like scared of like, I'm like, Oh my God, there's going to be a shark. Like even though they're so not like, I'm like, Oh my God. And I remember one of the guys like saw that I was like by myself, just kind of like waiting in the shallow water. And he's like, let's go out. And I was like, uh, I don't know about that. And he was like, come on, we're going to go. And so he like made me go out really far. And I was scared. And he's like, the water, like, he's like, I promise, like, it's not that deep. And he was like, come on, like, we're going to go touch the bottom together. And I was like, no, and I was so scared. But he like went with me and he was like, come on, like, we're going to touch it together. Like, come on. And like, I went and I did it. And I was like, oh my God, like, that was so fun. <laughs> like, it was like such a non-musical experience. But I think that's kind of the point is like, a lot of like what we see that we don't like in jazz is just like like very like ingrained behavior and it's just so clear in the jazz world because it is so male dominated it's like very easy to see manifested but that mm -hmm. stuff happens all the time um and i feel like i don't know i just love like those positive experiences it's like when men actually like open their eyes and are like comfortable like what can i do to change that um and it's kind of like sad yeah. that there are like only maybe a handful of experiences that I can really give you that. But each one of them is so valuable to me because of like the rarity right. of it. And I don't know, it just makes me think back to that. And I'm like, oh, I wish I had like a little more of that. Um, and I'm very grateful that I even had that at all. Well, we will create those experiences for our futures and we're gonna create it for other people's futures too. I think that part of like, us sharing all of this is doing that. So I love that you're sharing all these stories because they're making me happy and they're making me smile. And I'm like thinking of little moments here and there that I had too. Like the reason I really liked those experiences too is because they were so seamless. It wasn't like a, yeah, like she's cool or something like to stay or, you know, it wasn't any of those kind of like you've been let into like the, the hang. It was more just like individual guys being like, real you know and it's like that's i think what there needs to be more of like less of this like herd mentality and more just like we're just people each of us is a person yeah exactly i mean i think that it's really hard with music yes. you're really being vulnerable on one hand with the fact that you're playing music so openly but you're not being vulnerable as a human being sometimes. And, and it's really hard to balance the two, the vulnerable in music and vulnerable as a human being. And these experiences, you know, they, they, they're what kept me going. You know, band totally saved my life, I think. Like not even, not even exaggerating. Band, music, jazz, all of that. It, it totally saved me and it's- I think that all of this stuff is like very interconnected. And at the end of the day, I don't think like, you know, how we talked about no, like no, being no. stuck in a genre box and like being defined as a woman, like these definitions, these, you know, walls, like they don't define you. Like you can dream bigger than that. Like you can be bigger than that. Like you are bigger than that. And like, I really hope that people find my music through this podcast, but more importantly, I'm glad that we got to like talk about something like even bigger 
than just like a single that I released or something. Like that means a lot to me, but like, hopefully it'll, somebody will listen to it. It'll mean a lot to them on their own. Like, I don't need to talk about what it means. Like we've talked about a lot bigger stuff tonight than just like a single or like a specific song or anything. Pretty much anywhere that you stream or buy your music, you should be able to find my music. And if you're struggling to find it, I'm very easy to reach. Um, I'm on Instagram. My name. Everything is my name. My email is my name. My Instagram is my name. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, my latest release is called Arizona. Um, this specific single is about um, moving away from your hometown and how you feel when you visit but you know that it's just a visit. Um, I actually re- like voice memoed this melody as I drove out of Arizona back to LA um, the last time I visited, or sorry, before the last time I visited. Um, it was definitely during the pandemic though. So it was one of those like bittersweet, like, wow, that felt so freeing. But I also know there's really no opportunities for me here to stay other than just to see my family. So. Um, that's kind of what this last single I wrote is about. Um, just like bittersweet, like getting to see the people you care about and be in a place you care about, but knowing that like, it's really not your home anymore. Well, here's the thing, y'all, if you want more Casey, you can follow her on her socials, listen to her music, possibly purchase her music and just like eat it all up. (laughs) So... (laughs) Thanks. Exactly. So pay uh, <laughs> well. Yes. <laughs> you know what to do if you're not already following the Aria Podcast Instagram page. It is Aria Podcast. Super easy to find. If you want to become a patron, there's going to be some info about that at the end Bye. of the episode. That's all I've really got to say. So here's my final okay. farewell. Bye, farewell. Then I have to to thank everyone again for listening to tonight's podcast. Some of you may be listening early and that is through my Patreon that was just launched for the Aria podcast. The thing about the Patreon is that all proceeds that I make from my patrons immediately go to organizations for donations, including but not limited to the Navajo Nation Department of Health, the Navajo Nation Relief Fund, the Native American Advancement Foundation, and the Black Empowerment Plus Mutual Aid Project. All of these are located in Arizona, and the goal of the Patreon is to actually support and donate to organizations for Black, Indigenous, people of color, the LGBTQ plus community, etc. If you would like to suggest a organization that you would like the ARIA podcast to donate to, I am absolutely open to suggestions. You can send a DM to the ARIA podcast Instagram page, or you can hit me up personally. My name is Julianne Colwell, and you can find me easily on social media. This podcast is all about supporting 
our community. And so my goal with the podcast and with the Patreon is to take these proceeds and donate them every month. If you're interested in donating in another way, or if you just know of someone in need that you would like me to donate to, you can also let me know that way. 